Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, folks, welcome back to the Mount Westwire podcast, uh, Shoestring Edition. Jeremy Moss here with Eli Betker. Hey, Nevada, Woohoo! Oh, how sweet it is. We have a Mountain West team. We had two Mountain West teams in the NCAA tournament, and one is still standing on the second weekend. How nice is that? It is amazing, and it's our website, if you're wondering, mwcwire.com. And if you're wondering why I sound crappy, well, blame my computer for crashing, and I'm doing this via a phone call, and the program I normally use, I, I sent to Eli, doesn't like us. So hopefully we sound reasonably good, and you'll get the info you want, and we can celebrate together with your Nevada t-shirts if you go to our Facebook page. It's right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do have those special scoreboard uh, t-shirts, so certainly take a look at those. Two huge Nevada comebacks, and that's the reason why the Wolfpack are still standing here and will be playing Thursday night against another Cinderella, to a certain extent, Loyola Chicago. So what should we do? Should we go back to the Texas game for a second? Because right now it is already Tuesday. That game was Thursday. It's a couple days ago. Yeah, oh, wow. it, it's been a pretty wild few hours. I guess, yeah, we can backtrack to the, the Texas game. So Nevada was slow out of the gates again. We saw much of what we had seen in Vegas with the Nevada offense kind of struggling to get the baskets that they needed. They trailed 35-26 to 26 at the half, so it, it really was not looking very good. And Texas extended that lead to 40-26 early in the second half, just about a minute and a half in. Uh, but the the Wolfpack, they manufactured a big comeback. I'm taking a look at Kempom right now. Their minimum win probability in this game was down to 11%. They were down 13 with about 16 minutes left, but a number of huge baskets down the stretch. And Nevada was able to force overtime, and they were actually perfect in the overtime period. They didn't miss a single basket. Cale Martin hit a number of huge shots. Kendall Stevens led the team with 22 points. He was 5 of 11 from deep. And uh, Nevada was able to get it done. They were the... I guess you could call them the underdog in the 7-10 matchup despite being the number 7 seed, but uh, the Wolfpack had enough in the tank to get the win in Nashville. And it helps me foul out Obamba in overtime. Yeah, that was was at the end of regulation, I forget. Is is either, was it overtime, like the first minute, or was it the end of regulation? Uh, I'm I'm forgetting now. He did play play 31 minutes. I want to say it was at the beginning of overtime, but I can't say for sure. It, 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 that game feels like weeks ago from now based on uh, what happened that Cincinnati game. But that was huge because Mo Bamba had a massive impact on this game as we expected. Uh, the um, near seven-foot center, who's a five-star who actually just declared for the NBA draft uh, on Tuesday, he had a big impact, lanky. And we thought that he was going to be a bit of a mismatch for the Nevada front court. He didn't. Yeah, 14, ex- 14 yeah. rebounds. Come on, man. 14 yeah, I mean, he was, he was a mismatch. He, yeah, he, he was excellent, but I think despite having 13 and 14 and 3 blocks, I still want to say that Nevada did a pretty good job against Bamba. There were a number of possessions where Hallis Cook, who's just a 6'3, 190 point guard for Nevada, he was defending Bamba and did a good job preventing Bamba from getting easy baskets. So um, Nevada did a pretty good job on on the boards on both ends, preventing from the Longhorns from getting a number of second-chance opportunities. And uh, fouling out Bamba was huge because that is their big post presence. And although Texas shot the lights out from deep, which is definitely not something we expected heading into the game. Nope. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we saw a number of career highs out of these Texas guards. Kerwin Roach, Kerwin Roach had 26 points and hit 6 of 10 threes. Matt Coleman had 25. He hit 4 of 5 threes. It was just ridiculous how good Texas was shooting despite coming in as one of the nation's worst perimeter shooting teams. They were, and also with Bomber real quick, if you have a guy 6'3", he only took 11 shots. How did they not give him the ball like 40 times? Like, you have a guy who's 8 at eight to 10 inches smaller. It's like, they. I figured they would have four, They did a good job getting him, what, 6 of 11? Okay. But why not give him the ball to touch the ball every time? Like, take a shot nearly every possession. Give him... 15, 20 shots, 
it, with that size advantage, or get the free throw line. He had one free throw. So I think that was an issue. Which I know he plays the outside a bit. He had the one three-pointer. But if he's that big, that size advantage, why not give him the ball like every single time and shoot the ball almost every time? But it, he did okay, like you said. But that's my thought with Texas, especially when they had the lead. Because Nevada played terrible the first half. Weren't making their shots. They just weren't playing well. They got in their big hole, obviously. But, yeah, Texas is a big guy. Top five lottery pick. And you have the size advantage, but overwhelmingly in nearly every every position – the out-rebound Nevada by seven, four more offensive boards. It's like, to me, it's like, come on, how does that do better, Shaka? It's like, come on, what are you doing if you want to beat Nevada? But who cares? Nevada won. They came back from nine down to win. Overtime except perfect was amazing. And we'll get to the Cincy game. This is the first time ever a team has come back from nine or more points to win two tournament games. Yeah, they they really have been the cardiac pack, is what some people are mentioning. Uh, just to clarify, back on Bamba, he did foul out prior to the overtime, so it was uh, big getting Bamba out of that game. Uh, but moving forward to the Cincinnati matchup, it was oh just boy. yeah, it was alarming because Nevada came out of the gates again so quiet. Cincinnati scored the first ten points of the game, and the Bearcats just got everything they wanted, whether it be. Um, on two-point jumpers or inside, they had a ton of second-chance opportunities. They finished the game with 15 offensive rebounds uh, and trailed 44 to 32 at halftime. And it, it there was no, nothing made me believe the first 30 minutes of this game that Nevada even stood a chance. Cincinnati just manhandled Nevada, uh, and then things just completely turned around after Nevada trailed 65 to 43 with under 12 minutes to go. Uh, and, and finished under under with, under eleven minutes to go. Yeah, it, it was just ridiculous, and, and Nevada started hitting shots, and uh, we saw the Wolfpack press and trap Cincinnati's offensive players, and it completely threw Cincinnati out of their rhythm, and they started forcing bad shots or taking quick shots, which is exactly what Nevada wanted to do to speed up this game. Cincinnati isn't necessarily known for quick tempo; they're three hundred thirty-first in adjusted tempo, and you know that. Nevada likes to hey, speed we, things up. We see, a, we see a Virginia. We see a Cincinnati. Pick up the pace. <laughs> yeah, look what that resulted in. You have two top two seeds in the same region. They won't even be playing in the Sweet 16 round. But uh, a huge Josh Hall basket on offensive rebound with about 9.2 seconds to go. That was actually Nevada's first lead of the game. Uh, and, and that was all it took. And Cincinnati came down. Kane Broom tried to take the lead uh, or at least tie the game with a two-point basket and didn't really get off much of a shot attempt at all, and Nevada escaped for a New Mexico-like comeback against Cincinnati, and that was enough to get to the Sweet 16. Let me ask a quick question real quick. I noticed you tweeted out a stat over the weekend about the minutes led. Did Seth Davis credit you that amount? Because I noticed in here you put an article about the amount of time Nevada led in the tournament two games. Uh, <laughs> so what, did Seth Davis mention something about it? No, he just not you, but in general, I'm like, did he still? I'll say he stole it from you. Is that? I'll go with that. Well, I mean, it hasn't been the greatest of weekends for Seth Davis to begin with, <laughs> because he wrote in uh, that that vintage Sharpie tweet that he does. He had Virginia Sharpie about a minute and a half into the UMBC game, and what proceeded was Virginia becoming the first ever number one seed and number one overall seed to ever lose to a 16. So has not been the best of weekends for Seth Davis. But I did tweet this out. I think it was yesterday or two days ago. I, I can't remember. The few, last few days have been a blur. But I have some in-game scores from Nevada comebacks over the last two years, and this will be hugely familiar to Nevada fans. We have the New Mexico comeback. Nevada trailed 74-49 to with 11 minutes left. Came back to win that one in overtime. And Nevada trailed 40-26 to with 18 minutes and 42 seconds left. And the win over the Longhorns on Thursday. And then... Uh, um, excuse me, on Friday, and then Nevada had that win over Cincinnati in which they trailed 65-43 to with just under 11 minutes to go. So it's just been thrilling to see what this Nevada team can do. And no matter how much they trail, if they do trail against Loyola, you know that the talk of the town will be, you just can't talk this Nevada team out of winning these games because they can heat up so fast, they play good defense when they need to, and despite their short rotation or, I guess, team that is just short in height overall they're able to win these games against taller larger and maybe even more intimidating opponents i would like to give myself credit for tweeting all caps believe with youtube clip of them coming back versus new mexico 
That was awesome. That was awesome. I'm like, I gotta find this. I'm like, yes. Yeah, it's all of it. Like, seriously, it's like turning tongue in cheek because I'm watching this game on my computer. I have like a nice dual. One of my computers is working. So not my, the one that was working. I have a dual screen setup where I was watching this. So I was like, don't mess around Twitter, watch the game. The cost is over. I'm just screwing around, just two screens. I'm like, okay. Because I, well, I put the tweet out. I'm like, okay, they coming back a little bit. And then I'm half paid attention doing other things because how focused were you on this game when they're down 18, 20 points? You know what I mean? 15, 20 points. I'm like, oh, geez. And the only reason I kept my attention because it's like, oh, they're down 18. It's 14. It's 12. And did you, uh, have you listened to the CBS podcast this week when they recapped all these games? I haven't yet, no. Okay, so it's always, it's always good listen. So Gary Parrish out in New York City doing stuff for CBS Network and TV and all that. He's like, I gotta run, I gotta run for him, run out for a minute. He runs out when it's twenty two point lead because I think it's like it may have been the only game on or the other games were just starting. He ran out somewhere like I don't remember what he said, just just something he had to run out for. Comes back and like it's like a single digit game. He's like, what the heck's going on? What is this? What am I missing? Because he figured 20, 20 point lead. It's like, well, I can go do something for a minute. I don't need to keep both eyes on this game. And then, well, look what happened. Yeah, I, I actually did hear him mention that on his own radio stations. That was a pretty funny story. Musselman's been on just about every major national media platform in the last 24 to 36 hours. But I guess my own personal story with this game is I was watching it on my phone on the ride home and I got home and it was probably about 13 or 14 minutes left in the game and it was just not headed in the right direction for Nevada. So of course we talked about I was on recap duty so I had my recap all set to go one of the images I think was <laughs> yeah it was someone on Cincinnati I don't remember who it was but they had a pretty emphatic dunk so I had that set as my header image and something along the lines of Cincinnati thrashes Nevada ends Wolfpack's historic season or something like that and boy I could not delete that quick enough because Nevada stormed back and only led nine seconds but it was only nine seconds that really mattered Okay, we got shirtless must again at the end of the game. Yeah. Him going crazy. Yep. Afterwards, it's like, it's like, oh, we've been there. We know what that's like. It's, but, like, this game watch is like, okay, they're coming back. It's like, you're watching, like, is this really going to happen because they're making shots. Cincinnati went, like, wasn't there, like, an 18-2 run at some point, 18-0 run, something ridiculous. And that last play, Josh Allen, like, they call him Mr. March. Not that he does anything overly amazing because his, his numbers typically aren't, like, he's not the leading scorer for this team. He's not going to put up 20 points, but... He had 14 off the bench. I think he's averaging nine points or something in the tournament. He played well versus Texas. He had the nine. Like, I remember reading one of the, I think it was in the Athletic or something, or somewhere him just describing the last play. He's like, I had the, like, there was the miss by, uh, was it one of the Martin Twins? I forget which one. They missed the sh shot before. He gets the ball. He's like, what am I going to do? He's debating, like, am I open? Am I going to pass it? He's like, I'm just going to take it. He did his little, the soft shot. I see it bounce across the rim. You got to read the exact quote. I, just, I wish I had in front of me, but something where, should I pass, go with it? And he just laid it up there and 9.1 seconds left, drops it. You know what's also amazing? Um, House Cook, zero points. And they still win. Yeah, he was he was good on the defensive end, as we mentioned. But yeah. Nevada just needs enough guys to step up and make key shots, as Josh Hall did. And he's just been perfect in his role. Um, he's definitely not the high-profile name. I know everyone knows about the Martin Twins and Stevens and Caroline definitely gets a lot of pub, but Josh Hall's been huge when Nevada's needed him, and that's that goes all the way back to last year when they played Iowa State in the NCAA tournament. He just seems to make key plays, and he's the reason that Nevada has punched its first Sweet 16 bid since 2004 and have a very, very good shot at getting to the Elite Eight because they face a Loyola team who has also paved a similar path to the Sweet 16, coming back to win both of their first round, or excuse me, first weekend games to get to the Sweet 16 round. They're the 11 seed. Um, and as dangerous as they are, I know that Nevada definitely likes their chances against the Ramblers. Well, they should. Yeah, let's go to that because they won the, was it the buzzer, be buzzer beater versus Miami, right? Yeah, the two buzzer beaters. They, they oh, beat, two. Yeah, beat Miami on a buzzer beater. Uh, Dante Ingram came down and hit a big shot, and they also knocked off number three seeded Tennessee on another buzzer beater which I believe was by Clayton Custer. So Nevada's been the king of the comebacks, and Loyola's been king of the buzzer beaters. So it's uh, two different stories, but I don't think... You can't really find a better game in terms of media hype as these two teams both oh, yeah. are mid-majors. You have Sister Jean, the 
98-year-old Loyola supporter. You have Mariah Musselman, who's just taken the world by storm. I know that these two will be talking or have an interview or some sort of special uh, on CBS. Yeah, younger Musselman's going to interview Sister Jean. Yeah, it, oh, it's, a, it's an interview officially? Well, I saw that early, just a little bit earlier today. It's going ha- to happen. It's going down. That's awesome. It's there's just so much intrigue about this game and these two teams. Loyal hasn't been to the NCAA tournament in about three decades, and they're there now with Porter Moser, who's just done an excellent job. I think this is going to be an awesome game. It's the first one that's up on Thursday. It'll be about four o'clock Pacific on, I believe, CBS. CBS, yes. Yeah. So uh, the network of stars. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a twelve-game winning streak. Real quick for Loyola. the odds real quick right now. Two and a half favorites, so pretty much a pick up for Nevada. And it's like this team, like I, we're doing a Q&A with one of the guys from midmajormadness.com, so I'll have more up on that probably Wednesday, I'm thinking, if they when they get back to me. So, but like I'm looking at this team. They don't have like a, an elite score. They have five guys who score 10 points per game. They am almost, because that's one of the questions to ask, like who's going to step up because they go from 10 to 13 points. Who's their, who's their guy? Who's their go-to guy? And it seems like, for I can tell, it could be a number, like a couple of guys, because if you have that balance of scoring, and I guess well, like anybody has deeper bench in Nevada, so I guess that's a edge too for Loyola there. But they they're going to have to guard everybody in this game for whoever is going to be shooting the ball well, because it doesn't matter too much when they because beating Miami like with them losing one of their best players to injury, that's like whatever, that's not a shock. They beat Miami. I don't think too many people thought that was going to be an upset if they beat Miami. Beating Tennessee because Tennessee won the SEC regular season, correct? Yes, they did. Okay, but Kentucky won the tournament, so and we got Coach Cal there, which will be. Did, did we do we figure out officially how far Coach Cal sent is from Nashville to, or not Nashville, but uh, Lexington to Atlanta? Did we get an accurate reading from him? Oh my gosh, yeah. The Calipari coming into the tournament, his comments about getting such an unfair draw. Uh, it's just it's crazy to think how quickly things have changed because now Kentucky has the opportunity to play either a number seven seed or a number 11 seed for the chance to get to the final four. But, uh, and one yeah. step further, if you keep going the other half of the bracket, is it, uh, what is, who's the other half, uh, Texas A&M, Michigan, Florida State, Gonzaga is the other half, correct? Oh, the whole, yeah, the whole left side of the tournament bracket this year is just a complete mess. They will like, they could honestly play, like, if it works out, like, they'd play a 12, or no, who, yeah, they'd play 12 in the first round. I don't remember who they beat. Uh, do you remember who they played? Yeah, they played Davidson a 12 in the Dave- round of 64. Then they Buffalo. played Buffalo, the 13th seed, in the round of 32. Then they have number 9 seed Kansas State, who's fresh off of a, just a painful victory over <laughs> the 16th seed at UMBC. And uh, then if they do win their Sweet 16 game against Kansas State, they'll play either 7 seed in Nevada or 11 seed at Loyal Chicago. The best team left is Michigan, like ranking-wise. Yeah, to get to the championship. Under, under they could play a double-digit seed every game. Like, like, nine, like a nine seed could literally be the best seed they play the rest of the way for the championship game. It's it's just remarkable how this <laughs> tournament has unfolded. But to the it's other amazing. side of the story, I have seen so many national writers, and I hope for Eric Musselman and his team's sake that they've been reading some of these pieces because everyone thinks Kentucky's just going to cakewalk their way into the Final Four, and I know that it, the chances of that happening are much better than what they were heading into the tournament. But I've seen things like Myron Medcalf from ESPN. He said, I don't know if he was doing it just to troll people, and I'm sure you've seen it, but he said something along the lines of, does Kentucky even want a Final Four if they play these teams to get there? And uh, Seth Davis has echoed some of the same things. You've seen a number of national writers say these kinds of things. I yeah, I don't want a Final Four. I, I just because I play these teams, like it's really, it's it, ridiculous. Yeah, it's because here's the thing: a Sweet Sixteen doesn't mean you're one of the sixteen best teams in the country. It just means you won two games in a large tournament. It's a good accomplishment, even a Final Four. It's like, well, oh, it's, yeah. Don't even don't even let me bring up what Mick Cronin thinks of the Sweet Sixteen. I hope you I hope you well, saw that. Let's just say this: he's he's trying to he wants to um, unseat Bob Huggins, and that's not happening anytime soon. Sorry. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. For those that it's haven't matter. seen, it's like, no, it's a Final Four. National, like, who cares how you get there? You get there. It's your it, bracket. Yeah, happens. It's it still a matter. banner. It's like, what a... 
Um, did you have to see really quick? Did you see? Um, I did not listen to this link, but everybody on Twitter was bashing the Fox Sports Radio guy about. Do you know what I'm talking about? First of all, at all? I don't. I don't think so. Not yet. There was a guy. I'm trying to pull up his name here because I'm like I'm not listening to this at all because he's ridiculous. His comment. About oh, the, the mid majors. Uh, the what? About uh, only having power conference teams in the tournament. Yes. Um, should yeah. I even give this guy's name out? No. No. Sure. It's... No, 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 here's what I do. Go blast him on Twitter, because everybody uh, is doing it, so. Um, <laughs> it, it's, uh, what was it, How About Fresca? Oh, I know this guy is, too. I even like this guy. Now that makes it even worse. I used to listen to him on the radio. Eesh. That's terrible. I, because I used to be, like, overnight at ESPN, I think. I'd listen to him every, like, late night, or I guess late night here. But he's driving around. Usually a pretty good guy. I think he did NFL Network stuff as well. It's like, basically saying mid-majors shouldn't be in the car, in the tournament. I'm like, what's the point? Well, here's the hypocrisy of the NCAA tournament is because heading into the tournament, all you see is people writing articles or talking about the potential upsets, which number 12 seeds can win, which 13 seeds, and so on, which mid-majors can you look out to make a deep tournament run. And then once that actually unfolds and you have number one seeds and number two seeds go down in the first weekend, then... Everyone complains that, oh, we don't have any powerhouses left. Where is North Carolina, which has gone to two straight Final Fours? Why isn't Xavier still playing? Virginia, the number one overall seed, how'd they get bounced in the first weekend? We have no idea who UMBC is, what the acronym stands for, where they're from. So everyone wants upsets in the first weekend, but then once it actually happens, then you see people jump off the bandwagon. So there's certainly a bit of hypocrisy to it. It's nice. You know what I mean? You want to have a good mix. Like... I know in the South region, the top four seeds aren't in there, which is the first time ever that's been accomplished. I guess not accomplished, but you know what I mean. There's no one through four seed. It's like, okay, you still got Kentucky, you still have Duke, you still have uh, Michigan. Even though Syracuse isn't great, they're still in the tournament of brand name. He has still names out there. But you want a good mix, like even Gonzaga, they're kind of both. But here's the a quote from here. I, I never listened to it, and I, got, I think Tony, a college troop news, listened to it. I'm like, thanks for doing, thanks for taking the work off my shoulders because I'm not listening <laughs> to this garbage. <laughs> but here's a tweet. It's from the Fox Sports account, and here's how you know it's not a good tweet when only one person likes it, and it's Jason Smith himself. Here's a quote: <laughs> The Las Vegas 51s play a Triple A season. At the end of the season, they don't get to jump into the Major League Baseball playoffs. Um, first off, they're not in the Major League Baseball. <sighs> Gonzaga, Nevada, Tennessee Tech, um, East Tennessee State, Tech, Northern Kentucky, um, UT, Rio Grande Valley, Chicago State, Jacksonville State. Those are Division One basketball programs. Just saying. Like, they're, it's the same league. It's the same division. So, like, I didn't listen to it. He's like, it doesn't mean mid-majors aren't good enough. It means they haven't proven enough to get in. Well, here's the thing. We talk about scheduling. How hard is it for teams to schedule good opponents that are not – in a good conference. Like, that's what I said, like Syracuse, um, they get all the top 50, top quadrant one wins they want just because they play in the ACC. They can afford to stay at, stay at home for the whole non-conference season. However, if you're St. Mary's, which turns down games, you can't look at them. They're sitting in NIT because of what they did. Unless you're like Gonzaga, UNLV, who else really? San Diego State, I guess, uh, Wichita now, maybe Cincinnati because what they've done, UConn. They can get some pretty good games. Georgetown, I guess, even though they're down and their schedule is atrocious, they get chances to play those teams. They get chances to play. Georgia plays Duke. They'll play Maryland. They'll play good teams. Conference schedule can only do so much. If teams don't play, what are you going to do about it? So this is like the worthless, most worthless interview ever. I'll never listen to it. So it's I don't know what his point was. Like He's probably making some point that might make sense. But if you're a Division I team, you're in the tournament. You're in the tournament. You know what I mean? Okay, here's like here's my two cents on this. W- win the games. Like if if you're yeah. if you're a power conference team and you don't want mid majors to be in the tournament because they might spoil your chances, then score more points than them in a forty minute stretch. It's I mean it's not complicated. The mid majors are in there that either won their conference tournaments out of a one bid league or clinched an auto excuse me clinched an at large bid like Nevada did. And they have as much of a chance to win these games as anyone else. You just have to show up, play well, do your thing, and score more points than the other opponents. And the, the thing about minor league baseball, I don't even come close to understanding that. That's like that's, that's saying, like, why isn't Bishop Gorman in the NCAA yeah. tournament? They have X, X player who's a five-star. It just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, 
I, I, I'm not listening. I don't want to speak for him. I'm going to anyways. I think his point was, I don't, I don't know what his point was. You have to do, they're not good. He says they're not good enough. Well, it's like the college football thing. You got you only have so many games to prove yourself. College football is even smaller. Same thing. You can't really get good opponents unless, you know what I mean? Like, who's going to play? Alabama's not going to play. I know Fresno State was good this year, but Alabama wasn't, or excuse me, Fresno was got good, but wasn't really good at the beginning of the year. They played Washington. They played Alabama. Lost. Okay. But if you're like Boise State in football, it's hard to get a good opponent all the time. If you're, look what Western Michigan did a couple years ago. If you're Hawaii a decade ago, it's hard to did they get really good teams to play you in those sports? Because I know Gonzaga has, doesn't get Gonzaga have a North Carolina home and home. Isn't that coming yes. up for next year? So it's pretty, it's very rare to get that, but there's still a few games to prove yourself. So you schedule how you can, but I, whatever, right? There's, we're spending too much time in this garbage. It's just a stupid trash argument. That's worthless because if you're a division one team, you get in again, win your games. Like Rutgers, they're terrible. You know what I mean? Like Washington State's not good at basketball. It's like, it's like the argument's like, okay, and I'm like, who, like, I guess, well, I'm trying to give a good example. Who's really crappy at basketball in a big league? Uh, I don't know. Who's, t- I don't think somebody's terrible. Sure, Pittsburgh, TCU, you know what I mean? I guess TCU's okay, but just some garbage team, but they're in a big league. Like, are they more deserving if they haven't won 18 games over a 28 win team? It's like, no, it's like, come on. They, it, and whatever. Let's move on. It's terrible. Let's get Wait, back to our I, game. I got, I got one more thing on that, real quick. So Good, burn yes. <laughs> so Chris Murray tweeted something out like Nevada's two, uh, four wins away from winning the national title, uh, which is obviously true, and it, it will take a lot uh, along the way for that to happen. But Tyler Back, Tyler Back. Bischoff, who we're familiar with, uh, he, uh, he, Tyler, he, what are you doing? Uh, he, he said doing? he said uh, I think he said UNLV was just ten wins away from winning the national championship. And it's, I mean, it's true. You just have to win the games, win your conference tournament, win in the NCAA tournament, and you're in. So, so that's my final take on that. That's true. It's like you, yeah, you play well enough. Because if, if his argument was valid, that means there'd be, like, he would have, he, okay, he would have a valid argument if they were, if an at-large bid, like, never came from a non-power league. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Then he could have an argument. But that's not the case. So I guess I give him a tiny bit of credit for some reason. Okay, all right. So let's get back to Nevada-Chicago. Um, so it's two-and-a-half point line for Chicago. Oh, did you know, I looked somewhere. Um, you know Nevada's better odds of making the final four than Kansas, I think it is? Really? I think is one of the top I – just, I just remember pulling up right now. They, I think it's from Ken Palm, his rankings, or not his odds or whatever. It was um, – yeah, to get the final, but not to win the national title because you put out final four. What are they? Eleven percent chance to get there to the final four. Yeah, five thirty eight had them, I believe, at eleven percent. Yeah, here it is, right here. Um, Nevada has. Um, oh no, sorry, my mistake. I, it's very close. There's eight percent. Um, no, no, yeah, final four. Nevada has a twenty seven percent chance to make a final four. Kansas just twenty two percent. Well, there you go. Sad. You got a chance, right? There's always a chance, and Nevada matches up well with the potential teams that they could play along the way. Yeah, because like with Illinois, like or not Illinois. Sorry, I'm thinking I'm getting Illinois, Chicago, and Illinois, Chicago. Illinois, Chicago is in the CBI or something. So, like, what does Nevada have to do to get to win? Because they have a quick turnaround. Because they played a Sunday afternoon game. Now they play the first game on Thursday. It's, and they had to travel back from Nashville to Reno to Atlanta. Why not just? I don't know. They. they why didn't they just hang out on the East Coast? You know what I mean? Just take a. <laughs> it's like I know you got school, but I'm just saying, like, what's the do? Why not do that? You know what I mean? That's a long flight back because that might actually be a six-hour now. A decent-hour flight back to Reno, but. So what are you, what are your thoughts on how would they beat Chicago, Illinois, Loyola? The uh, I don't even know their mascot. Are they the? Uh, there's something odd. The what Ramblers. Are they? Yep. The Ramblers, right? Yeah, they are the Ramblers. I, I think that the key for Nevada is to just continue to play strong defense, especially against Loyola's jump shooters. Uh, Loyola is in the top 15 nationally in both two-point percentage and three-point percentage, so it's one of the more difficult offenses that Nevada's faced off against. I think one of the one of the keys here for Nevada, or one of the benefits to this game, is that Loyola Chicago isn't isn't going to intimidate you with their size or with their length or, I mean, potentially even their athleticism, which is what Nevada's matched up against the first two games. Cincinnati obviously has a ton of girth on their front line. Texas with Mo Bamba and a number of athletes that uh, are, are just incredible around the rim. That isn't necessarily the case with Loyola. 
But what Loyola does have is great shooters and also a strong perimeter defense. So where Nevada usually wins their game is through three-point scoring or, uh, or defending their opponents on the other end of the basket. So it's just going to be the key for Nevada. Is they need to uh, make sure that Loyola doesn't get hot because if they do, uh, I just don't know if Nevada has enough defense to keep up. Though we have seen, obviously, the last two games that Nevada is able to pull off some pretty well comebacks. Very true. One thing I noticed, too, about these two teams, like they're both similar in that well, yeah, you got Jordan like Martin and those guys who can score. Anybody in this Nevada team could go off for big, big points each night. Because when you play six players, typically maybe the seventh when um, they for ten seconds some guy go, <laughs> some guy goes in. This will be a game where you could give me all ten starters, draw a name out of the hat, and I'd be fine saying they're going to lead the game in scoring because of the way they play. And so this will be an interesting defensive matchup where because Cincinnati was a very, very good defensive team. They were one. I think weren't they Ken Palm, the top five defensive team in the country? I believe something like that. And I'm looking right here. Something ridiculous. Um, whatever. They're very high in the defensive uh, statistics for efficiency, or one of the defensive stats because he has like a dozen of them. It seems like. But like it'll be interesting because Nevada always plays man to man. It's going to be a matchup. Like there's not going to be any doubling or just like if you want to want to get more into it. There's not going to be – I know Nevada kind of hangs around. They do the isolation. I'm like, come on, make do some movement. I hate when they just sit there. Like, even in the Cincy game, like, you're coming back close. Look what's working. A guy goes to the basket. You're just still hanging out and taking a long three-pointer? No, don't do that. But, like, the way these teams will play, it's going to be – not that it's going to be a lot of one-on-one matchups, but you're not going to see any double teams. You're not going to see any zone. Obviously, Nevada never. Muscleman's like, I play zero. Nothing zone. Never, ever zone. Play man-to-man. I don't care if I have foul trouble. Man to man, I'll stick with my guys. So, fouling, like, I know I'm bouncing around, but, like, fouls were sort of an issue for Cincy. Because didn't Caleb Martin get one, like, with a minute left in the first half, something like that, something late? I think somebody did. But my point is, the way these two teams play and who could score, like I said, you could pick anybody who scored the most points. I don't care who it is. I would probably believe you. Almost believe you. Uh, but defense is going to be something interesting because it's going to be a lot of, not one-on-one, but it's all going to be, I'm going to match up with my guy and just go with it. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Kind of like, because anybody can score, nobody's going to be left open. Which yep, means nobody's definitely. going to play zone defense at all. So it's going to be not, like, not one-on-one matchups, but a lot of uh, individual scenarios, I guess is a better way to put it. Trying to get open or getting the ball. And, and that, I think, plays into Nevada's favor because they have a lot more height and weight than Loyola does in um, Loyal is... will break it too. Is they have more height than Loyal? What? Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, Loyal's best player arguably is Clayton Custer, and he's just six foot one. So if you put one of the Martin twins on him, uh, or, or even Kendall Stevens, that's about a six inch size advantage in Nevada's favor. So um, maybe Custer's able to manufacture his way around that, maneuver his way. Uh, but it is something to keep in mind because. Custer is a really good passer, and he also hits big shots, as we saw against Tennessee. But if he's facing off against an opponent who's half a foot taller than him, that's something to keep an eye out, especially, like you said, in a game where individual matchups are so important. Here's a quick stat real quick. I'm just I'm reading a couple of notes in here. Nevada is first nationally in turnover rate, giving the ball away on just 13.3% of its possessions. Um they only had two turnovers against Cincinnati, but they were down by 22 points. That, looking back, I'm trying to think, like, did they only turn over, like, that, that few times? Yeah, they, I mean, they did correct? a great Am job protecting the ball. It's just weird, because they're down by 20 points, but they were, I promise, I thought I saw them just since they go down the court quickly and score. Maybe I'm just thinking because of how big the lead got away. So, they're able to come back, because they protect the ball, they're down 20-plus points in the second half, Turn it over twice. So that's one thing, too, I look for. Like, obviously, that's a dumb stat. Say, oh, protect the ball, you're going to win. Well, it makes sense. If you give up eight easy ba- 10 points off turnovers, that could be the difference. Making free throws. They missed free throws in the first half. That was almost the difference in this game. So I was making, I just wanted to bring that up because I wasn't sure if I was reading that properly. But, like, this matchup, if Nevada fight, like, I remember last year I mentioned the Iowa State game when they were in the tournament. They had a size advantage. They didn't win that game, but. There's something where they finally have the advantage. Will they use that size advantage and help them to get to be victorious potentially? 
Because the crowd there will be like, that's going to be part of it too a little bit. Because there's guys saying like, um, Kendall Stevens and other guys say, oh, people are leaving the gym because the 20-point game, getting snacks, bathroom break, whatever, or just leaving. Who's going to be in this game? It's going to be all Kentucky fans. So, because Chicago's reasonably far away. Obviously, Reno, Kansas State's not very close. But Kentucky can drive from that location. So, like, who's going to be at the game? That could possibly play a small could be a small thing or something to look at, I guess. Small, obviously, of the crowd. Like, how's the crowd going to be into this game? That could make – because you know how it is. Like, when UMBC's on the run and the underdogs are on the run, they all go behind them. Like, well, not, neither of these teams are really favored or known teams. You have a 7 and 11 seed. Who's going to get behind who? I think that might be something to look at just because of how the atmosphere will be there in Atlanta. I, I think Kentucky fans would definitely support Loyola Chicago um, because I don't think Kentucky wants to see Nevada – Nevada matches up really nicely against Kentucky. They have a number of shot makers and um, guys that have NBA-type prospects in terms of um, length and, and just athleticism. I think going back to your earlier point about offensive rebound and turnovers, that'll be something to keep an eye out on for this game because we know that Nevada doesn't turn the ball over. Uh, and what Loyola does is they are pretty good at causing turnovers, so Nevada has to protect the ball, and they did a great job against one of the nation's best defenses in Cincinnati. But maximizing your possessions is huge, because when you're facing off against a team like Loyola Chicago that is so good at shooting and defending opponent shots, if you're able to maximize your possessions, maybe get a 4-5 or five, uh, rebound advantage on the offensive boards, or if you, you force Loyola to turn the ball over, maybe three or four more times, that maximizes the number of chances you have to put the ball in the basket. And when you have a team that uh, puts the ball in the basket as well as anyone in the country, you want all the chances that you can in case the shots aren't falling as they have not been doing, um, in Nevada's case, in the first halves against uh, both Texas and Cincinnati. All right, let's um, kind of wrap this up. i got a few other notes I want to discuss here. Do we have, um, do you have Ken Palm's projected rate or when he, who's going to win this game like his projection yeah i do do you want me to let you know i would like to guess so you can guess bpi my part because i have bpi up here okay all right you go, <laughs> you go ahead all right um so i'm gonna say that he does percentage wise correct yes first okay he does percentage gonna... he does percentage and projected score okay i, I think he has nevada as a he has nevada pretty high i'm gonna say like 62 percent for nevada what about point spread um, I'll just go difference. I say Nevada by like four and a half. All right, so it's Nevada 57% favorite, and they're projected to win this game by a score of 74 to 72. Oh, so, so I was... pretty close. Yeah, okay. All right, so what's, uh, let's go to your favorite BPI. What do you yeah, got? <laughs> I think Nevada is a 53% favorite. Close, 56 and a half. So BPI okay. and Ken Palmer are nearly the same. All right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think... Just from what I've seen from these two teams, I like Nevada's chances a lot more than what the numbers would suggest. Um, just based on roster construction and how Nevada's able to manufacture baskets and what they've done against adversity uh, these past two games. Um, but I, I think I, if you're a Nevada fan, I'd feel pretty confident, especially with this draw, because the chances of facing off against a number 11 seed, no matter who it is in the Sweet 16, is, is pretty lucky. Yeah, and then really quick, like, one thing that, because Loyola is a pretty good defensive team, not nearly as good as Chicago, uh, not, sorry, not Chicago, Cincinnati. Like, I know points for games not the best app, but what I have in front of me on my phone, because, uh, again, I'm doing my my crazy uh, recording option today on my cell phone here, but 62 points per game, that's all they give up. And so, while Nevada's not really great defensively, like, point-wise, 70 points, something's going to give, but if Nevada could make a run against a better defensive team in Cincy, now, this will be... They'll be, they'll be fine. You know what I mean? It's like not, whoever they play to be fine, but it's something to look at. Like, Loyal is good defensively. They shoot the ball better than Nevada. Here's the thing it's going to be a big deal. The rebound per game, Nevada actually has an edge, like we mentioned, the size. And um, what is it going to look at? I guess blocks per game, whatever. That's not a big deal. But the rebounding, it, rebounding edge for Nevada, hopefully, and then the defensive effort that Chicago can put into this game will be a big deal because they're what they allow. But Nevada gives scores 83 in their own edge. That's, like a, that's almost a 20 point swing. So something's going to give, like, Nevada will, will Loyola do what Cincy did and not give um, Kendall Stevens a half an inch to shoot the ball? 
Because that worked pretty good for the first half when they were just smothered to him, and he had, I think, just two or three shots in the first half. Very few shots attempts. So that's probably Loyola's plan. Like, because he broke, did he? He broke what? Jimber for that three point record, right? Yeah, he's game? the all time single season Mountain West three point shooter. If you be a record by Jimmer Fredette, that's a pretty big deal. So, <laughs> and so I think that's what Loyola will do. But I, prediction wise, I I think Nevada's going to win. I'm going with Nevada. Yeah, I would say, I would say it's a relatively close game, but I think Nevada's able to to finish things out down the stretch. I think they win by about eight or nine points. Oh, eight or nine? That's a blowout technically, considered what's been going on. Yeah, well, I think it would help if, if they don't trail by 15 or 20 to get things started, which I don't think will be yeah. the case this time around. No, that's not the case. So, uh, oh, shoot, my internet's acting weird. Um, so, do you, okay, that we won't speak again until then, but what do you think Kentucky or K-State? Is Kentucky going to take care of business? I think Kentucky probably blows out Kansas State, yeah. Oh, blowout. So, Wolfpack, Wildcat, is that what you're predicting for a that's, Final Four? That is, line? Yeah, that is my prediction for a Final Four on the line. Definitely an unconventional matchup. Do you think Nevada has a decent chance to get that victory, maybe? Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I would. I would project that it would happen, but I think Nevada, if they could choose about any top five seed they want want to match up against, I think it's probably Kentucky. Just similar styles of play. Kentucky doesn't have a massive guy underneath that will cause problems. Their their tallest rotational guy is Kevin Knox, who's six foot nine, who plays more like a four. He's attempted a number of jump shots on the baseline and on the wings in Kentucky's two tournament games. Uh, Kentucky has as much talent and athleticism as anyone in the country, but uh, Nevada's shown in the past that they're able to match up well with these teams and knock down enough shots. So I, w- I would like Nevada's chances against Kentucky. I think that would probably be more of a coin flip uh, type of game than anything else, but um, you know Vegas would certainly favor Kentucky if those two teams were to match up. Yeah, because Kentucky's a five-and-a-half-point favorite against K-State. That game, it's also on CBS following this matchup, correct? I know it's following, but yes. it's a CBS game as well. I believe so, so. I believe so as well. So, yeah, I mean, it would make sense to be on the same network. Why would it change the networks? That's weird. So, yeah, look, definitely watch that game. Watch our game. Nevada-Chicago. You got uh, recaps, previews coming in for this game. You got Brandon's going to handle some of those, all of those, whatever. We'll have some more fun stuff on the website. But really quick, we have some coaching news here. Should we wrap up this next few minutes with Utah State coaching news? Yeah, that sounds good. Apparently. Um, yeah, yeah, Fox. go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mark Fox has been around. He's been uh, talked about in both the Colorado State and Utah State openings. So he's in the mix. Washington assistant Dave Rice, who we're obviously uh. familiar with. He's also one of the final candidates reported by Salt Lake Tribune. And also Gonzaga assistant Tommy Lloyd, who I think would be a slam dunk higher if Utah State's able to pull it off. Those three have been the main contenders for the Utah State vacancy, according to the Salt Lake Tribune. So who do you who you think uh, Gonzaga system would be the best one? I think so. I I mean, obviously Dave Rice is going to bring talent in, but we have concerns about him uh, from an X's and O's standpoint. I mean, he's not terrible. I mean, we we like to joke and whatnot, but I would Late probably Dave's scenario. He's not very good. I'll go that far and say that. Yeah, yeah, I would I would say that too. All all three of these coaches are great at bringing in talent. I think from what I've heard from Tommy Lloyd, who's being Mark Fuse wingman for years and years now everyone thinks that he's going to be a head coach in the near future and if this is a job that he wants then I think Utah State would gladly take it I just think that Tommy Lloyd um, not to put any shade on Utah State I think he could probably land a power conference coaching job if he really wanted to so I don't know if this is one that he's going to jump at Uh, but either way the list that Utah State is ending up with is Really encouraging, so I think they're going to end up with a great head coach. One note on this uh, from Jeff Goodman. Mark Fox, for some reason, is hanging out with the Atlanta, Atlanta Hawks on their five-game road trip. So if he is a candidate, or, well, he is a candidate, but for the Colorado State job, and Utah State job, and possibly others, I'm not entirely sure, Looks like, he's mentioned multiple openings, so at least the two we know of. He won't meet with anyone for a week. And there's time, like, I'm betting, like you said before, Final Four weekends when this job will, either job will be um, – decided like last year with Paul Weir in New Mexico picking him up from New Mexico State around the final four weekend is when this will probably happen because you got the coaches convention every coach wearing their Nike outfit saying hey coach hey coach how are you doing coach hey coach <laughs> <laughs> to uh, find the job there or be higher uh, coach whoever it may be do you think Mark Fox is not going to land at either of those because is he getting too much interest 
because why go to Utah State or Colorado to see what I can go maybe here. You know what I mean? He could still land a power conference job, I would think. Uh, he's reportedly been made unavailable for this next week. As you said, he's with the Atlanta Hawks. And what the Salt Lake Tribune reported is that their final decision will likely come as early as next week. So it does appear that Utah State wants to move fast. I don't know if that in any way knocks Mark Fox out of the running. Maybe that's a consideration, but I don't think you want to rush things, um, if, especially if it's going to result in one of the coaches being held out of consideration. And also, real quick, Utah State's AD mentioned last week, I think it was KVNU, saying, you'll be blown away, blown away by the names I'm talking to. Are you blown away, blown away by these names we've heard? I don't know if I would categorize it as blown away, but I'm definitely encouraged. I don't think I mean we we talked about I don't uh, again we talk so highly of Mark Pope, but Dave Rice, Tommy Lloyd, and Mark Fox are more accomplished than Mark Pope to yeah oh, to sure. to this uh, extent in their career. So we thought that Mark Pope might have been the front runner for the Utah State job. Instead, it's three guys that have been around the block for a handful of years. And there's also the, I'll say rumor or whatever. People go, people say, oh, you got to coach. Like, I know the AD, so you got to have no Utah, which is great because Dave Rice was assistant with Stu Morrill for, I think, at least a year. He was at BYU for a while, so he clearly fits that. Mark Fox, nothing to do with the state of Utah. And I guess uh, the Gonzaga coach, I guess the region. But the people are saying, well, he, Pope doesn't have a good relationship with high school or AAU coaches in Utah. Eli, there's not great recruiting or great basketball talent in the state of Utah. I went through the rosters of Utah and BYU, and BYU is a bit different. There's like, I think, nine total guys on the state of Utah on those two rosters, and very few play a lot of minutes. It's, like, there's not a superstar. Dry. Like, I know they they like the Haas guy for BYU and a few other guys, but like, there's not these superstar elite talents in the state of Utah. Maybe like one a year at most. And so, saying you need a, relation, a great relationship with those coaches, I think that's overblown by quite a bit. And I think that's why they're leaning towards candidates that know how to recruit in different areas yeah. around the country. Because if you are in Utah or a state slash region slash area that is usually not known for its grassroots talent, then I do think you need to go out and get a head coach California, that's able buddy. to recruit. Right? What's that? Just go to California. You know what I mean? Like recruit. You'll get yeah. You'll get a couple guys from in state. Like the Pope thing would make sense because he's doing what Muslim is doing. A lot of transfers. And doing quite well. You could, like you wrote the article, you could build off transfers. You don't have to only do recruiting. It's obviously more ideal if you could get a guy staying in program for four or five years. But if you, like, like I've read pieces what you did and other people that muscle men's turned away people that say, their parents say, I don't want him to come here. I don't think he has a work ethic to come here to Nevada. But he goes to technically a better school or in a better conference. So he's selective about what he's doing. And Mark Pope, Pope gets guys who are BYU, which is just da- literally – two or three miles down the street to the university so it's not you know what they're you know what you're getting essentially from living location and all that stuff and atmosphere a little bit different not too much really but i, I bet pope i don't know it's it, these are better coaches of mark pope but to say that's the reason he's not being considered i think it's hogwash but i don't know who to, who, who will get the job because if you go to csu becky hammond stayed at, at dispersed because of probably money and opportunities mark fox seemed to be the big name and only name there so i don't know who else you're going to go after and like, it's been reported that Jace Hurl, who was the interim head coach of the final six games of Colorado State season, he will not be getting an interview and has been exploring other programs for coaching opportunities. So he's out of the, the candidacy as well. That's that's interesting. I, it kind of makes sense because his age a little bit, but it's hard. It's, it's he's a tough spot. Like he did a, did what he could. He's a younger coach, and it's he'll get opportunities somewhere else. He'll be fine, I believe. But it's just. He's put in a tough spot. You know what I mean, number three coach got the head gig for a month or whatever, a couple weeks. It's I didn't think he'd get a job. He'd think an interview at least, just because of what he went through and how he put it, kept it together. Even if it's a here's the thing: you hear all these interviews. I know you got to go. We'll finish real quick, but like there's it's like why does this coach get an interview or something? Why does this guy get an interview? Or it's like you want to do an interview because you never know what you're going to get during an interview. Even if he's an interim coach on your staff, you never know what they're going to be. And getting that experience as an interview for a head coaching gig goes miles for a million different reasons because if he goes and gets interviewed somewhere else, like who knows, maybe middle Tennessee State, he goes there and gets interviewed because their coach is gone. Like, or go to, who knows, somebody's going to be gone. He'll get a decent job somewhere. They'll go talk to the AD or president who was interviewed. How did he interview? Just to get a feedback. Well, that's a big thing to do. So to deny him an interview is a pretty big deal, I think. 
Yeah, I would have thought he would have at least received a courtesy interview to some extent to show what he's about and show his worth at the university, but that's not what CSU had in mind, so we wish him the best of luck. I think he's going to be an excellent coach wherever he heads. Um, maybe it'll be one of these vacancies. You never know. We have three vac. Well, I guess it would be one of the other two um, vacant jobs, but maybe he ends up at Utah State or Fresno State. You just never know. A um, couple other notes, Fresno State, two of their assistants, Brian Burden and Nick Matson, uh, reported earlier today that they will team up with Rodney Terry's staff over at UTEP. So uh, the only one that really expects to stick around on the Fresno State staff is Byron Jones, and he's vying for the full-time head coaching position. He's the interim head coach there right now. Um, so maybe he could land the full-time job. We'll see what happens with that. And... Uh, I guess we'll we'll see what happens with some That's of these. That's it. Yeah. yeah, no clue. Fresno has no clue what's going on at the moment. Yeah, uh, I I have heard a little bit of rumors the last 24, 40 hours or so, uh, but that if if that does turn into some real stories, then we'll certainly publish that out on our our, our own site. So keep an eye out on that. Uh, but Fresno State, for the most part, is keeping things under wraps in terms of their head coaching search at this point. It's very political to say under wraps and not. They have no idea what they're doing because they lost their coach because they're dummies. So I know it's me, not you. It happens. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> one one other thing. Uh, if I don't know if you've read it yet, but the Players Tribune had an awesome article today yeah. on former Utah State forward Jalen Moore. Uh, talks a lot about his struggles with mental health and anxiety, and I think it's definitely a must read if if you're a fan of Mountain West basketball or if you have gone through similar things that he's gone through. Uh, it is one of the better articles I've seen on a great site, so be sure to check that out if you haven't already. Yeah, I've seen it. It's on our Twitter feed somewhere after me arguing about expansion. It's on there, so go check that out. <laughs> but I, I need to read it too because I know Jalen Moore, a pretty cool guy from what I've read, but this will be very interesting about him, I guess, turning down the NBA. Is that correct? Yeah. That's a short version. Mm-hmm. So that's it. I know you got to go. So that's it for us. Up, check, Go to Twitter, MWC Wire, if you want your Nevada shirts. Come on. Have I say die? Is that what we got there? Is that the correct term? Comeback of but, a lifetime. Yes, sir. Get those shirts. Those are good ones. No kidding. If you want to, check it out. Go grab one of those. We've had a decent amount of people do that. Hey, if they make the Final Four, there'll be something coming your way as well, Woo. folks. And, uh, we'll we'll keep, it, keep it up and keep it going. But again, check us out. MWCY, or no. Jeez, oh, apologies. MWR.com. Lots of people still visiting our site. So check us out. Give us your review. Podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, tune in. Um, got all about hoops coverage for you this week and uh, yeah we'll see you next time folks sunday night i believe is what we're doing so yeah later